Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right, we'll get into our our message for today. Um, And uh, today I want to speak about a blind man, a short man, and a dead man. And when I mentioned that to my wife, Carrie, uh, she said, did they walk into a bar? You know, and I said, no, not that I know of. But Jesus did change each one of their lives and circumstances. And because he did this, we know that he can change our life too. What he did in these three guys, he wants to do in us. Do you know that? I sure hope you believe that. Uh, For this is the message. We must believe in the Lord and who he is, and what he can do. We must believe and trust in who he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. For each story of the Bible gives us hope if we begin to see ourselves as the one that he came to save, came to heal, came to change. He can do it. At church, you see, we're not just gathering to just read about what God did long ago. No way. We are surrendering our lives to a living God who is still at work in the world today, still wanting to do things today, still speaking to us, still seeking and saving the lost, still leading his church, still healing and transforming lives and communities. He is the Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. His mission is alive and well. He is not given up. He is not just sit back waiting. He is working. Christ is not dead. We just might need to hear that again. Christ is not dead. For the message of Easter is we serve a risen Savior who is in the world today, not a dead one. This is our faith, that he is alive and that he goes before us. He told his disciples, I will be with you till the end of the age. He is here now. He is both seated right and on the throne of heaven at the same time as he is among us, with you right there wherever you're watching this, by the Holy Spirit. He is in both places. He is guiding us through his word when we open it and read it. He is answering prayers all around this globe. He is working through his body, the body of Christ, of which we are a part. Like those original disciples who gathered, we are now them entrusted with the message, filled with the same Holy Spirit that they had. The Lord is among us. We're the ones that he now sends. We are the body of Christ. When we gather for worship where two or more are gathered, he has promised to be right there in the room. When we go share our faith with our neighbor or have to stand before the courts, uh, he has promised to give us the words to say. Standing right beside us. When we serve those in need, when we pray for somebody who is sick, when we love like Jesus loved, he is there, still at work, changing lives. Christ is not dead. He's very much alive. If you still see Jesus as a person of history, then you've missed a crucial part of the story. The resurrection. For who spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus? Jesus. Who appeared to John on the island of Patmos? Jesus. Who was the one who opened the prison doors for Peter or opened the gates of heaven for Stephen? It was Jesus. He is not dead. 
He is alive and both in heaven right now, as well as at work in you and me. He is our king, our savior and best friend. And I pray that we would all see him as he is and truly know him, not just know about him, but know him. He is here right now. That is why we still read these stories and preach these sermons, asking, Lord, what do you want to teach us today? We are listening. And so today we have stories of a, of a blind man, a short man and a dead man. What did he do and what does he still want to do? Well, the first two stories I want us to look at here, the blind man and the short man, they're found one after another in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you would turn with me to Luke 18, verse 35 and following, I'd like to read the story first here of the blind man. It says this, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped hearing that. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. When the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, the man replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is a very important story. Uh, Jericho was a town that wasn't very far away from Jerusalem. The first time we read about Jericho, actually, is in the Old Testament. And that story, too, is important. For after 40 years of wandering in the desert, God's people, now being led by Joshua, were to go in and take the land that God had given them. They're to cross the Jordan River by faith and enter into the promised land and believed that God would overcome their enemies for them and help them. They had to put their faith in God, and Jericho was their first big test, the first major city they were going to have to face. It was a giant fortress and wall and army. But God said to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. You know, for as I was with Moses, I'm also going to be with you. I will give you every place that you set your foot. And so Joshua, he sends spies into Jericho to check it out before they all would march in. And if you remember the story of Jericho, you know the Israelites, when they went in, God told them to march around the walls seven times and to blow their trumpets. And when they did that, the walls came crashing down and God gave them victory over the city. Well, you know, this is a traumatic and beautiful uh, story, overcoming story that we have in the Old Testament. Well, before, though, they marched in and the walls came tumbling down, Joshua, like I said, sent a few spies in to check out the land. Well, there was a woman who lived in Jericho by the name of Rahab, and she was a poor woman and a prostitute, and she was the one who really helped God's people. She ended up hiding those spies when they were found out or whatever. She hid them in her place. And the Bible says the reason she did it 
is because she feared God, which is an amazing part of the whole Old Testament story because of all the people in her town, she alone believed in God and feared him, and she helped the Israelite spies. And so when God did, you know, God's people did come in and march around the walls and the walls come crashing down, she alone and her family was saved. And, and it's interesting because Rahab is not the one that you think would be the great hero of the story, but she's the one who had faith when the others didn't. So the reason I tell you this story is because the first time we read about Jericho in the Bible, it is an unlikely person who was the one who really saw the truth of God. It was Rahab. Well, fast forward to this New Testament story in the exact same place 1,500 years later. Jericho now is filled with Pharisees and religious leaders, and there's even a large mansion of King Herod that is there. So you got the king of Israel, you've got the religious leaders, but who out of all of them is able to truly see the truth of Jesus? It is a blind man. A man the religious leaders thought was cursed by God, stricken with blindness. He was actually the one who was blessed, who was able to see what everybody else could not see. Why do I say this? Because when the blind man heard the crowd and asked what was happening, they told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. That is who they saw. The crowd saw Jesus of Nazareth. But when the blind man, who in the Gospel of Mark we know is named to be Bartimaeus, when Bartimaeus calls out for Jesus, notice what name he gives to Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. No, the blind man says something very different and very revealing. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, he says it twice. The crowd just saw Jesus of Nazareth. The blind man could see Jesus, son of David. And that's important because son of David was the title in, given in the Old Testament for the coming Messiah. He would be called the son of David because he would come from the line of David, a king over all kings, the savior of all people, the rightful ruler. The blind man of everyone there could see what the crowd could not, that Jesus was the Christ. And that is why the crowd rebukes the blind man and tells him to be quiet because they don't believe in Jesus. They think the blind man is being blasphemous. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And their King Herod is a tyrant and unstable and he lives down the street with an earshot of this whole thing. And they feared Herod more than God. They didn't want Herod to hear somebody in the crowd calling Jesus the king. And so they tried to quiet Bartimaeus and silence his courageous faith. But our scripture says he would not be silenced. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Just like Rahab, Bartimaeus feared God and not man. He put his faith in God and not man. A blind man was the one 
who could truly see. That is the irony of the story. When Jesus heard him shouting, he stopped and he called the man to come to him. And when Bartimaeus came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? As if he even had to ask. And the man replied, I want to see. And in front of the whole crowd, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately Bartimaeus's eyes were physically opened and hopefully the crowd's eyes were spiritually opened in that moment because Jesus just proved he was who this blind man could already see he was. And so in the end, not only he, but the crowd all praised God. The blind man's physical eyes were opened and the crowd's spiritual eyes were opened because of this man's faith. When we live by faith, others are able to see God at work in our lives. And that's how he's made known. One of my favorite movies is Field of Dreams. And if you know the movie, there is a voice that speaks and tells this farmer to build a baseball field on his farmland. And, and when he plows down the, the, the field and everybody thinks the farmer's gone crazy hearing these voices. And yet this farmer feels so strongly he's supposed to do this. And so he does. He builds this baseball field on his farmland. And, and all of a sudden these old famous ball players who are dead are suddenly appear. And it's like, it's like heaven there in Iowa. And the farmer and his family can see them. But nobody else can see the ball players. And I love the scene near the end of the movie where the farmer is about to lose his farm because of all the money that he has put into the field. And his brother-in-law shows up and is mad, thinks he's lost his mind and is going to lose it all. And, and he's yelling at him when the farmer's nine-year-old daughter says, we don't have to sell the farm. People will come. They'll watch the game. And without giving it away, the, the farmer's brother and, and him start to fight. And the little girl falls off the bleachers and is choking to death. And they can't get her to breathe until one of the ball players, remember, who was dead, <laughs> so that reappeared on the field, um, was invisible to everybody except for the farmer's family. He sees the girl choking. And in real life, he became a doctor after baseball. And so seeing her choking, he walks off the field to help her and suddenly appears in physical sight before them. And he saves the little girl. And when the brother who couldn't see sees that, he suddenly looks around and now he can see all the ball players that he didn't just moments before. His eyes have now been opened because of the selfless act of one. Jesus stepped out of heaven down to earth. And when he saves us, when he works in our life, and we put our faith in him, others are able to see his hand, and their eyes are opened. And this was how the blind man helped other people see the truth of Jesus. By putting his faith in Christ, letting Christ heal him, others were able to see so too we have to put our faith in Christ like the blind man did. Not being silenced by a crowd, afraid and unbelieving. We have to believe in him 
and let him do his work in us. When we live by faith, that is how the crowd around us will see. The next guy, though, besides the blind man that I wanted us to see, is the short man. His story found immediately following. In Luke 19, 1 to 10, it says, Jesus then entered Jericho. Story right after the other. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree, and since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to grumble. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back it four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So again, this is a story that happens at Jericho, a town where God seems to work in unexpected people. A prostitute, Rahab, a blind man, Bartimaeus, and now Zacchaeus, a tax collector. The ones you would not think would respond to Jesus are the ones responding to him. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, which meant Zacchaeus was in charge of all of the tax collectors. And the tax collectors back then were hated because they were Jews working for the enemy, the Romans. And they were allowed to charge people whatever service fee they wanted on top of the already high taxes. So Zacchaeus was seen like as a slum landlord or a crooked lawyer or a greedy politician. He had a reputation in that town and he was hated. He was rich and very much alone. He was, you know, tax collectors were not considered real Jews. He would have been disowned by his own people, considered like a Gentile. Well, we read here that he wanted to see Jesus. And so he runs ahead. But because he's short and the crowd is all around, he has to climb a tree. Now, it's all speculation as to what drove Zacchaeus to these extremes to see Jesus. Maybe he was there when the whole blind man got his sight, you know. But what we know is that a wealthy man, you know, for him in that time and culture to climb a tree like a child or an animal would have been a desperate measure. It would have been a humbling act. And that's why Luke includes it here in the story, this detail. Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. Why? Well, maybe he was rethinking his life choices. Maybe the money wasn't making him happy, nor the power. Maybe he was tired of the life that he had chosen. Tired of being alone all the time with no friends. Wondering if forgiveness and a new life could po be possible for a person like him. Something caused him to run and climb that tree. And my guess, it was the hope of a new life. Well, when Jesus saw him and the efforts he took, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I got to stay at your house today. 
You see, when you and I seek the Lord like this, like the Bible says, with all of our heart, like Zacchaeus is doing here, a heart desperate for him. When we cry out to the Lord like that, when we show him, man, we really need him. We really want to see him. We really want to know him. The Lord responds to that. The Lord always answers that. The Lord always looks up and sees us in that tree. Jesus saw Zacchaeus like he saw the blind man. And Zacchaeus was honored that Jesus would want and even be willing to enter his home. And so he rushes down immediately to welcome him. And this is a very big deal that Jesus entered a tax collector's home. For Jesus did what his own people would not do. He entered the home of a known sinner. And Jesus was often criticized for eating and, and entering homes of tax collectors and sinners and people that they had rejected. And it was true. Zacchaeus was not a good man. He had done very wrong. He was a sinner. That is not in question here. But Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save people who were doing wrong. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Romans 2, 4 says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Well, Jesus showed Zacchaeus kindness by entering his home and being a friend to someone who had no friends. And at some time during dinner, we read that Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is real for Zacchaeus. It is not a show. It is not fake. True repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry. But it is recognizing I was wrong. And turning to God for help to live a new life and even making amends with those that we have hurt or cheated. It is asking God's forgiveness and theirs. Zacchaeus was willing to do all of this. He wanted a new life, and he saw it now possible in Jesus Christ. And that turn is what caused Jesus to say, today salvation is coming to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus let everybody there know that whom they had rejected, he had now accepted because he had confessed his sins. The Lord had forgiven him and he too was a child of God. A couple thoughts we can learn from this. The first is there is hope for every sinner. No matter how far we are or they are, Jesus came to save sinners and his kindness and grace changes hearts and lives. Inside, we know we want a new life. The problem is we just can't do it. We just can't be it. But in Christ, suddenly, we are able to do what we couldn't before. We're able to receive his forgiveness and his spirit to live a brand new life. He will show you how to do that. In this story, I'm also reminded of a heart that we as a church need to have towards sinners. Sinners are not the enemy. They're the mission. And the Bible says it is kindness that leads to repentance. God ate at the house of him 
and noticed him in a tree, do we have the same heart towards the sinner? And then the last thing I learned from this story is how Zacchaeus came to the Lord and he had in him the desire to right the wrongs that he had done in his life. So he gave back what was stolen. He even gave half of his possessions to the poor, a sign that money was no longer going to be his God. I mean, and I've been thinking about the importance of what he did. He didn't just go to the Lord and said, forgive me of my sins. But he also then looked at his stuff and he looked at the harm that he had done in his old life. And he wanted to make amends. He wanted to reconcile with his brothers. He wanted to give back what he had taken. He wanted money no longer to be the thing he lived for. What does that mean for us? Where are we maybe still holding on to something that we now need to let go of? Because we're a brand new person. And then the third and last story. We've looked at you know, the blind man, the short man. And so real quickly here, I want to end this sermon by looking at the dead man. And his story is found in John 11. And I don't have time to read it all, but it's the story of Lazarus, a man who was sick and then died. And his sisters were friends of Lazarus, or friends of Jesus. Uh, they were Mary and Martha. And they thought that their savior and friend Jesus should have come earlier and stopped this whole thing from happening. You know, just like us, we can wish certain things didn't happen in our life. But they did. Well, in our last story, Lazarus, he dies. God allows it to happen. And four days later, Jesus then shows up when everybody else thinks it's too late. And Martha comes out to him first and says, Lord, if only you had been here. She's basically saying, why didn't you come sooner? We needed you. And then Mary comes out and she says the same thing. Lord, if only you had been here when we needed you. And Jesus cries with both of them. He weeps with us when we weep. And then he comforts them with the words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And then to prove that he has the power, Jesus walks over to Lazarus' tomb and he tells the family to roll away the stone. And then this is what happens in John 11, beginning in verse 38. It says this, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man said, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there already four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus then looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I read this story again this week, a story I've read, you know, many, many times. But this time, I read it, and I'll tell you what I felt God saying to me right away. He was saying to me in this story, notice what Lazarus is doing. And I thought to myself, Lazarus is doing nothing. He is dead. And I, and I felt God 
at that time, just say back, exactly. There was nothing that Lazarus could do to change his situation. He was completely powerless. He was dead. He was wrapped in linens, lying behind a stone. It is all over for him. Until suddenly, it wasn't. Because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. Nothing because of Lazarus. All because of Jesus. Jesus just chose to do this. He just chose to do what was unexpected that nobody believed that he could do, to breathe new life back into this man, to raise him from the dead. And all Jesus had to do to do it was speak his name. And life entered Lazarus's body again, and the dead man became a living man. When will we get this? That it is not what we do, not what we can do, but what he can do. This is the Christian life. It is faith in a God who can raise the dead. In him who alone can breathe new life into dry bones. New life back into a family. Into a heart. Into a soul. Into a situation that seems bleak. Our church. Our nation. He takes dead things and he makes them alive again. He's the giver of life, both now and eternal, to everyone who believes in him. We humans, we can do a lot of things, but we can't do that. We can't give life. We're pretty smart and creative, and we invent stuff, and we figure out a whole lot of things. But we have no power to stop death or to no power to give life. This story proves it. Lazarus just got sick. And he died. There was nothing he could do. There was nothing the sisters could do. They were powerless. But the Lord was not. The Lord was powerful. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's the one who created us and we belong to him. He's the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve and he can give and he can take away. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Our Lord conquered sin in the grave for us. And if we put our faith in him, his life then enters ours and we become a new creation. We become something brand new. New life enters into us. And one day in the future, He's going to speak our name and we too are going to rise from the grave and spend forever with him. He gives life now and he gives life later. Only he can do it. Only he can make dead things live. This speaks to me because of the many little deaths that we can experience in life. The bad things that happen, the changes that come, the evil that appears to win, the moments when it appears like it's all over and we think all hope is lost. Praying, where were you, God? How come you let this happen to my life? There are many deaths we experience in life when it looks bleak and then Jesus shows up at just the right time. And he speaks and new life grows. A new day dawns. And what we thought was over now has new life. He restores people and heals broken relationships. He brings a family back together, new vision to dead churches, and reignites passion and purpose and creates new love and revival in the land. He alone can bring life. We can't. He can. All Martha is asked to do in this story, all Martha or anybody is asked to do in this story is one thing, if you notice, roll away the stone. Just roll away the stone, Martha, and let me do my thing. That stone became a symbol of faith. 
becomes a symbol for us, something that we can think about. What are the obstacles getting in the way for Jesus doing new life? What are the things that God is asking us to let go of? What are the things in our life that he's saying, trust me with? Roll away the stone, Martha. Martha didn't want to. She said, he's been in there four days, Lord. I mean, it's really already over here. I mean, there's a bad stench already. Doubts, fears, excuses, we all give them to the Lord. Roll away the stone. Watch Jesus do his thing. A blind man, a short man, a dead man. Their stories teach us what Jesus wants to do today. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you are able to join us in worship again soon. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org.